Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Pentecost to you. If you could stand where I stand, this is hilarious. Tim and Ronnie, I have no idea what you did to everyone, but your section is like, there's six of you there, and there's like 20 of you here. It's great. Okay, sorry. It's just funny to look at. All right, that is not really an announcement. I should get on with it, shouldn't I? We're having a reception after this, and we're going to hang out outside. There are cupcakes, there's coffee, and so it will be great. Just stick around for a few minutes after our worship service today. Go right out to the garden. Uh, It's a lovely day, so anyway, please stick around if you want to uh, for that. Also, uh, next weekend is Memorial Day. If you're in town, Tasha and I will be here, but we will have a guest preacher. Her name is Paige McCain. Paige is a graduate of Truett Seminary in Baylor. She's a Fort Smith native who lives here now that Tasha and I have gotten to know, and we think she's just absolutely spectacular. And so she is going to preach her first sermon in front of a church to you guys next week. So if you can, I've seen you do it before. I know you have it in you, those icy stairs. If you can work on those over the course of the week so that we can really greet Paige uh, next week, that would be great. But anyway, I hope, please do come. Paige is, is really wonderful. So anyway, Uh, That'll be next week. No Sunday school, in case you hadn't figured out today or next week. Uh, June is TBA, so keep your eyes in the Proclaimer next week, and we may do something in June. All right. Doesn't it look nice? Everybody in red. Isn't it great? Table's ready. Let's worship God.
call to worship this morning comes to us from Psalm 104, beginning with verse 31. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the, war- in the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, we pray that as this time of worship begins, your spirit would descend upon us, that it would guide us in our worship, clear our minds of distractions and ill thoughts, and during this time, help us to focus our lives anew upon you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, you guys want to stand for the first hymn? Yeah, okay.
You may be seated. When we say that we have no sin, we deceive only ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But when we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us in all mercy and righteousness. Together, let us confess our sins before God and one another using the prayer printed in our bulletins. There is a place for silent prayer, so be attentive as you're reading along. Let us pray. Holy and great God, we pray for your mercy and grace in our lives and the lives of those whom we love. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. As we survey a world in turmoil, we pause now to offer our confession for the role we have played in the violence, greed, rage, and selfishness which perpetuate human suffering. We take this time now to offer our silent prayers of confession to you. We pray that through Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel might be sealed upon our hearts once more. We ask that you would humble us, sanctify us, and transform us into your more perfect disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My brothers and sisters, in the waters of your baptism, you were claimed once and for all for Jesus Christ. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have left undone, Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. And now let us stand and sing to God's glory. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have two scripture readings today. The first is Romans 8, verses 18 to 28. I invite you now to listen for God's word to us. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage and decay it will, and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. 
For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with us, for us with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading comes from Acts chapter 2, as is the tradition on Pentecost, but against tradition, I'm going to fast forward just a touch. And so we're going to pick up after the tongues of fire and the rush of the wind and the foreign languages at verse 14 of chapter 2. So I invite you now to listen for God's word to us. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when the crowds heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed the message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Pentecost. Aren't you excited? Pentecost is one of the most important days in the life of the church. It's right up there with Easter, with Christmas, with Good Friday. Pentecost couldn't really be more important for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. And yet, when you put Pentecost up next to Christmas and Easter, it doesn't seem like quite the same level of event, does it? It seems like it's just kind of a morning. Like there's no Pentecost season, there's no Pentecost tide, there's no Pentecost preparation outside of laying out our red the night before. Pentecost is just Pentecost. And so I feel like it could do with some marketing. I feel like maybe if we thought more about how to 
tell everybody that Pentecost is so important that more of us would take it seriously. I had an idea to kind of conjure up a little symbol like the Pentecost squirrel who would bring nuts and leave them next to children's beds at night when they slept. And in the morning, kids would awaken and they would find a new bag of candied nuts every Pentecost. And we would sell cards with the Pentecost squirrel. But somehow I don't feel like that's going to take. And I feel like if I pushed that too hard, you all would fire me. So what could we do to make Pentecost seem a little bit bigger of a deal? I think one of the things that would be difficult is to read the entirety of Peter's speech that he gave after the tongues of fire and after the rush of wind and after the languages. It's a long speech. I skipped from verse 14 all the way to 32, and then we concluded at verse 42. He goes for a while. And during that time, he uses a lot of heavy theological language. He quotes the Old Testament frequently. It's not the sort of speech that lends itself to our modern ears, to American Christianity, to uh, the sort of thing that we can really get behind. It's not, you know, a baby in a manger. It's not women coming to a tomb first thing in the morning. It's Peter just standing there talking for a long time, and it happens, and you think to yourself, I sit through that every week. It can't possibly be special. So I've thought about it, and I think Here's my idea for getting people more plugged into Pentecost. What if, we, what if we took Peter's speech and we reworked it just a little bit to make it more comfortable and familiar to us? As I was reading it to you, were any of those words particularly familiar? Were you finishing the sentences like you do on Christmas Eve? Probably not. So let's see if we can help. Peter gathers the crowd before him, and he says something like this. He says, men of Judea, I know that your lives are difficult. I know things are hard for you, but I want you to know that God does not give us more than we can. Ah, see, it's working. God doesn't give us more than we can handle. And I know, I know that you suffer under the yoke of Roman tyranny. I know that it feels as though doors are closed to you. But when God closes a door, he opens a window. Yes, I think this might work. Let's see. And I know that you are crippled with poverty. I know that you have to pay a fortune in tax, taxes to the empire and to the tax collectors. But I want you to know that God helps those who help themselves. And if you wonder why all these things have befallen you, men of Judea, if you can't sleep at night and if you struggle under the weights of all of these burdens and sufferings, I want you to know that everything happens for a reason. See, just a few tweaks and we'd have it. It would, it would be the most quoted passage in all of scripture if we just made a few simple changes to Peter's speech. If we just added in a few other things. But the problem is, here's the problem, those things that I added in to make it more familiar to us, none of those are in the Bible. 
Those platitudes and cliches that are so familiar to us are found nowhere in Scripture. You may not have thought about this, but it's important to know and it's important to think about. I want you to think about your language. I want you to think about your words. When you speak, on whose behalf do you speak? Yours, right? You speak on behalf of yourself. When I talk, I talk to people as Philip Blackburn. My words are my own. And yet, I'm part of something else in my life. I am part of the church. And the church is the visible witness to Jesus Christ. We're Jesus' body in this world. We're his hands and his feet and his tongue in this world. And so when I talk, I talk for myself, but whether people know it or not, when I talk, I also speak as one who is part of the church. And therefore, what I say has tremendous meaning in that way. And especially, especially when we use theological language, when we talk about God, when we say to someone who is suffering deeply that God won't give them more than they can handle, when we say to someone who's been out of a job for six months that when God closes a door, they open a window, when we say to someone who just can't muster the strength to get out of bed, God helps those who help themselves, when we say those things, we speak to them, not just as ourselves, but we speak to them as the church. And what we're saying to them is nothing that we find in our actual Bible. Our language matters. Our words matter. What we say as the church matters. So what are we to do? How shall we solve this problem? What if we want to do better, but we just can't figure it out? What, what sort of language shall we use? Now, we see that Peter's speech is actually quite helpful to us. There's been a rush of wind. There's been tongues of fire. There's been Galilean peasants speaking in languages they couldn't possibly know. All the crowds in Jerusalem have stopped and are now looking right at Peter. And he says to them, men of Judea. There was a man named Jesus. And he died. In fact, you killed him. But he died, and then God saw fit to raise him from the dead, this Jesus. We saw it. We all saw it. And this Jesus who was raised from the dead, he is the one who was prophesied for us. He is the son of David. He is the Messiah, this Jesus. Look, you can even read about it here. I'll quote the Psalms for you so that you can see even David didn't speak about himself and do the things that Jesus did. This is what I have to tell you this day. And the crowd said to them, 
brothers, what do we do? And they said, repent, believe the good news of the gospel, and be baptized. And Acts tells us that on that day, 3,000 people were baptized. I mean, it was probably the preacher's count, but still it was a lot of people. 3,000 were baptized that day, and over the coming centuries, millions more would be baptized to the point where today there are over 2 billion Christians in the world. The church numbers over 2 billion in this world, all from 12. And how did we get here? How did we arrive at this place? Well, it was the language. It was the story. It was the gospel. The church is called to proclaim the gospel. And when we talk about God, we are called to proclaim the gospel. Along the way, something happened to how we conceive of gospel language. Along the way, we landed on this spot, and we seem to believe that the words of Scripture and the words of God to us primarily exist to comfort and console us. And they don't. Comfort and consolation are lovely, and we find them in Scripture, but that is not why they exist. These words exist. The gospel exists not to comfort and console us. It exists to transform us. It is language of change that we are offered in the gospel. And it's that language of change that we are called to proclaim. It is language of profound and deep transformation. After Peter had stood and proclaimed the gospel to the gathered masses in Jerusalem, and they said to him, what do we do with this information? What did Peter say to them? Repent. What does repent literally mean? It means turn around. Go the other direction. The gospel is language of change. And so that is what we are supposed to be talking about. And that's how we're supposed to frame it. And that's how we're supposed to phrase it. And that's how we're supposed to convey it. And that is, in fact, over the course of our lives, how we are supposed to live it. We are on a process, a journey of continuous change and transformation in response to our baptism, in response to the good news that we have heard in our lives. We know, we know the foundational, fundamental power of the gospel, of those words, of that language in our lives. We don't need to change anything about the Pentecost story. We just need to understand the degree to which it has changed the world and changes us. We have a powerful, powerful story to tell. There was a man named Jesus, and he was born in a stable, and he lived an incredible life. He healed many people, and he taught many things until he was betrayed by one of his friends. And then, after that betrayal, 
He was murdered by the authorities, hung up on a cross. But God, in all his love and wisdom, saw fit to raise that Jesus from the dead after three, three days, and in that resurrection communicated to all of us the love and grace that is the very being and nature of God himself. And then in response to this, in response to this amazing thing, this Jesus who is the Messiah, the Son of God, in response to this, we repent. We change. We go the other way. And we are baptized. And then we are made part of one body, his body. That is the gospel. And that is the Pentecost story. Should mark it itself, really. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious, holy, and merciful God, we pray that your spirit would descend upon us and upon your table, that through these elements we might be nourished and renewed once more, stitched together as one people. Help us to come to this table with an abundance of love in our hearts, faith in our souls, and grace in our spirits. We pray that you would do these things for us in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The table of bread and wine is now to be made ready. It's the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is a table of fellowship with the poor, with whom Jesus identified himself. It's the table of communion with the earth, in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table. You who have much faith and you who would like to have more, you who have been here often, and you who have not been here for a long time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have failed, come. It is Christ who invites us to meet him here. And now, let's listen to the story of our faith. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood for the remission of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. For every time we eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So today we will invite you to come forward for communion. There will be two stations. Uh, there will be individual cups for you and individual pieces of bread. If you are unable to come forward, please just stay where you are, and we will serve you in your seats. So I would invite the servers now to come forward.
this day, we are mindful also of those in our lives and in your world who are in need of your healing touch, your transforming presence, and your deep grace and love. And we take this time now to offer to you our prayers for particular people and situations.
now may the grace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once more into these doors. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. Let's have cupcakes.